0: I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself.
1: Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working
0: on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents, and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. This is the show where we go into places most people fear to tread. We go not just into awareness, not just into talking about stuff and belaboring how terrible things are, not into tragedy, not into horror. No, we go into answers, joy, joy and solutions, at least especially today. Um, every once in a while, I dip my toe in the controversial waters, but mostly, I like to tell you, here is the light, let's follow it, let's find a way to enjoy and prosper. Okay, so I have a really exciting guest today, um, as we always do, um, today's guest came by, to me by means of my families. So you know how I work internationally all over the world. That's what internationally means. And um, I go into homes, and I work with neurofeedback and play therapy, and I restructure the family dynamics, and we get things going. Well, everything's gorgeous about what I do. I love my job. I love the changes that I see. One of the areas where I fall down, where I'm not so great, is, okay, I admit it. I'm not so great. Is that I don't want to be the person who creates the, you know, the the rules to follow and structures their their career in such a way that they're always, always, always a therapist. First, I was a mom, and then a therapist, and but all along, I was a performer and a presenter and a speaker, and that is really where. Um, I like to stand strongest and, and do the most of my work. So I'm not building the presence in a way that I would otherwise do. You know what I mean? Like um, the rules of ABA or the rules of this and that. So everybody bugs me about it, and sometimes this uh, makes it more difficult for my families. Sometimes I have a family who doesn't want to just be, Belief driven and and change oriented through concepts. They want the friggin' hard facts of what to do next. Now I do that. Don't don't get me wrong. I give them those answers. But, at, at least to the best of my knowledge, but I don't structure it in this hard and fast way. I remember my son had the same, one of my sons had the same problem with me because I was always teaching him about the concept and the belief and the way. And he was so, so he's the one that ended up in the army. Go figure. He's like, "Mom, just tell me what's right and what's wrong." And I'm like, "Well, it depends." So I found what I think is maybe a kindred spirit here, but who actually took the time <laughs> to build the pieces that I didn't build, and whose approach is somewhat different. So I'm real excited, and I found her because one of my parents had gone and heard, had heard her speak and gone, "Oh, I think I can." grab a hold of this in a way that I can't grab a hold of what Lynette's giving me. The funny part is they thought they couldn't tell me. So they were keeping it a secret, right? So they're doing their own feedback and they're doing play. But they're also sneaking over and learning about this method. And they're like, oh, I hope Lynette wouldn't mind. I hope it's complimentary. Oh, I hope it works with her stuff. Let's don't tell her. Okay, guys, don't do that. Tell your people. Let them work it out. I mean, there no harm was done by that, but it was an unnecessary stress, and it was incorrect. I love a team. I need a team because I don't want to be that. That was the point. I want to get them started, guide them through their, their therapy for life, but I want them to embrace the rest of the things in the world, hence the podcast. So they finally owned it. They finally told me about it. The mom sent me this email, and she's like, I hope you like her. Her name is Annette Banielle, and um, I want you to listen to this podcast. Oh, I hope you like her. I hope you're not upset, but my husband, he's on his way over to take one of her courses and learn how to do it. So please, um, I hope you like it. <laughs> It was pretty hilarious. So anyways, I did like it. I more than liked it. And even if it hadn't been my idea of perfect, it still would have been awesome. We could make everything work, guys. What I liked best we'll get into in a second. I'm going to introduce her to you. But now you know how I found Annette. Um, I found her because a family of mine found her. This is how I find most things about autism. A family of mine found her. They loved her. They are now implementing her teachings into my teachings, and the changes are really, really exciting. Mostly the changes in the dad. Okay, Annette, thank you for being here. How was that?
1: That was fantastic, Lynette. Okay, but now you have to
0: tell them who you are because all I did is create the mystery of, well, what is this method that she does, and who is she? So you, wanted, you want to take that on, or shall I?
1: Uh, Why don't you start?
0: Okay. So um, I've I've got some stuff in front of me. Of course, when you're going to introduce a guest, you pull things up about them. And uh, it looks pretty interesting. She's created something called the Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality. Uh, it's Move Into Life, The Nine Essentials for Lifelong Vitality. And, of course, uh, Annette has a, a website and stuff. But while I got researching her, I discovered that she had a mentor. There was somebody who was working with movement and teaching to move outside of your habits, move outside of what you normally do. But to do that with attention, I'm going to give you a really quick hit on this. If you think movement or changing something like that is very small – just a quick hit. I was having a lot of pain in my back. It turned out that I had um, fractures in my back and arthritis, and I give kids rides on my back all the time. And then I also had a lot of neck pain, and I went in. I went the typical road at first, and everybody's like, "You're going to be crippled by the time you're 60," and all these things. And, um, and instead of listening to that, what I did was I Googled all these problems. I looked at my habits, my movement habits. And I discovered that most of my problem in my neck pain and my headaches um, had to do with jutting my chin forward. It was information that was already available. Nobody was telling me. So I started pushing my head back whenever I drove, whenever I was working on the computer. I started changing what I carried and how I carried things because I traveled, so I was carrying things in a certain way. And all the pain went away. So what I'm telling you is that movement is powerful because a person in pain is not a person who is cognitively available. Let's say that again. A person in pain is not a person who can listen and learn. They're busy with their pain. So when I saw that Annette's primary method has to do with movement change, I got really interested, and I think it's very complementary to what I do, and much better than what I've seen done with Brain Gym. How's that, Annette?
1: It sounds good. It sounds uh, good. I love listening to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's listen to you now. Uh, your mentor. Let's start with that. How did you come across? I can't say his name. I don't think. Yeah, I, 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 I'll do. I'll do it. I'll
1: do it. Okay. Thank problem. you. I'll liberate you there. Uh, Well, uh, my background uh, at the time, as you might hear from my accent, I'm Israeli and I lived in Israel, and I was, uh, you know, about to go to graduate school um, and uh, debated between clinical psychology, dance as a career, or medical school, and um, decided to go to clinical psychology, but I had one problem, was that... The approach was the psychodynamic, Freudian. While it was very interesting and I, you know, I learned a lot of wonderful stuff, I missed the, the part of the immediacy of experience, of movement, of the body, of sensations. And uh, um, so I started looking for a teacher or something to learn to complement what I was going to study as a clinical psychologist and I was also dancing a lot at the time, and after a while, remembered a, my own dance teacher when I was a young child. taught us what she called the lesson on the floor once a week, and that was the work of Dr. Feldenkrais. Feldenkrais was a, a, an Israeli scientist; he was a physicist, mathematician, um, who developed a, an approach, a movement uh, system. Uh, initially, because he needed to help himself, he was also a black belt in ju- judo and he had the injury to his knee and looked to recover, not through medical intervention or typical therapy, which was pretty non existent at the time, but, um, but he understood that it was, uh, if he could ch- train his brain to reorganize how he moved. He should be able to move, except differently. And that's what he did, and it became his lifelong work, and and he was a remarkable genius. So I found him and started studying with him, parallel to my grad school studies. And um, instead of just having that be part of my psychotherapy, it ended up what I do and, I couldn't, and at first I worked primarily with dancers, not surprisingly so, musicians, high-performing people, and just the, the adult population. But um, soon enough, uh, through a story that I tell in my book, uh, you know, Kids Beyond Limits, I started working with children, and that started taking more and more of my time, especially of my private practice, because not only it was so compelling to me, but the parents were so insistent. So, <laughs> the you know, once I started working with a child, it they started taking more and more of my time, uh, my practi- private practice time. And uh, so that's uh, roughly my background. I moved to the United States, uh, you know, in the 80s, and um, now live in Northern California. And I. I have my own center. I have trained quite a few people, so now I have wonderful teachers that I collaborate with that work with me at my center, and they're teachers around the country next to the world. And I, um, uh, so I, I think that where your uh, client uh, comes to one of my training programs, and if we're thinking about the same person, and... Um, and uh, that's that's uh, how it. That's all what you do. Oh yeah.
0: Well, that's it. Um, what I really like. I'm going to jump right to it, and I and I, I do want you to give the nine essentials, of course, at some point. But I want to tell you what really tweaks my interest. So when I was looking um, at what you do and listening to you speak on, on a different podcast, on um, I'd like to plug it right now, but I can't remember what podcast it was. But I, we got to the part where you were describing, and I'd love you to try and do that again now, Well, you were describing how you sort of break into, like let say a, a child who's getting dressed, for example, was the, that was the example you were using, and it's a movement they're already used to doing, they're used to putting their shirt on, or they're used to someone putting their shirt on, or however it goes, and you broke it down. Why I really liked what I heard is because, for two things, and I'd really like to center the show a little bit around that. There were two things I really, really loved. One was it was what I do, <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> or I wouldn't do it, right? We love what we do, so maybe I'm maybe I'm doing the same thing. I'm I'm working my own. I'm on my own choir here. I'm talking to my own choir, but but I really did recognize the value in. Um, in the way that you were presenting it because of the similarity, but enough difference that I was learning from you. So that's always exciting. And the the other thing is it was in real life. So much of the time, what I'm dealing with when I go into the home is that the family stands back and goes, I don't know what to do with the child because everybody's telling me different things. I'm getting so much mixed information. I'm so confused. I'm hands off now. I'm gonna hand them to the program and I'm just going to put them to bed or get, get through the night and hand them to the programs again. Not out of lack of love, not out of anything other than not knowing how to help their child in the moment and in the day-to-day tasks. And you were just talking about a regular activity that they were going to do every single day that they didn't have to be sat at a table to do, but that they were going to have to do every day. So I loved it. I would, I would love for you to talk about how you would take somebody and help them
1: shift a little while let's say putting on their shirt, I would like to say a few things though, before I jumped into Please. the example because I, I, that's why I think it'll give people more freedom to figure it out into the nuances and specifics of their own situation and their own child. Um, so I, I, I'd like to make a few distinctions for uh, you know the the listener if so when we observe a child behave, it always includes movement. You know, as the, uh, Einstein says, nothing happens until something moves. And as my teacher, Fenwicker, said, uh, uh, without movement, life is unthinkable. And, and so they, whether it's they walk or they don't or they scream or, you know, whatever behaviors, if you're focusing more on autism... And, and uh, we, we would like them to either do something they can't do or stop doing something they are doing or do what they're doing but differently. And, and uh, the easiest point of access, which we are all aware of most, is their behavior, is their movement. And so very much, very often in therapy or intervention, The focus is on trying to change the behavior, Uh, get the kid to look you in the eyes, uh, have them to speak, have them uh, respond socially a certain way, have them stop tripping, stand more stable, you know, whatever. The more hidden uh, part of ourselves that you focus on and I focus on uh, is the brain. And there's a very fundamental difference between the so-called physical body and the brain. The physical body is a mechanical system. It's uh, bones and muscles that move them around. It's what we are very familiar with. So, for instance, if if, uh, you try to move a box and it's not moving, if you use more power, very often you start moving. If you use more force or... If you shake it a little bit, or (laughs) there is sort of a mechanical force exchange, direction exchange between you and another body or being, and it does something different. The brain is very, very different. It's not a mechanical system. It's an information system. So in order to do something different, it has to work with... Somewhat different information. And it's not an information, it's not something you can hit on. I I give people example that way back when radios were built differently, people used to kick them to try and make them work (laughs) and they stopped working. (laughs) But uh, you take a computer and it doesn't work, unless you're really willing to give up on it, you're probably not going to kick it because it works very differently and it works with uh, generating and manipulating information. Right. And And it's
0: easily disturbed by that. Great,
1: great example. Yeah. Yeah. So so I know it's it's a bit conceptual here, but it's very, very important because one of the things is that then what's the information? What's the source of information? So very often people take and believe that stimulation is information and if you want to later i, I can also say how i got to it but i realized that uh, no stimulation alone is not information for the child or for the person we need stimulation to generate information but stimulation alone is not information not only that When the brain is not good at generating information, stimulation can be a disruption. And we see it very, very clearly with autism. So what is the source of information for the brain? And the source of information for the brain is the perception of a difference. So what you and I spoke about, about just before the show, you are actually doing... In my world, exactly that. So uh, a simple example is if for I c- I'm colorblind and I cannot see the difference between blue and red, I don't have blue, I don't have red, and I don't have color. So when uh, we want, a, let's say, the child to be able to begin even noticing that there is a shirt there and that they're going to start participating in dressing themselves, they they really have to get it that there is an arm and that there is a shirt and that there is a movement you can do and all of a sudden that thing called shirt is going to be on you in a certain place. Now, it's very hard for somebody who... Is familiar with shirts and has been dressing themselves, you know, if it's the parent for at least, let's say, 20, 25 years, it's very hard to get that a six year old child or an eight year old child can look at the shirt and not actually get the distinction shirt. And so, in other words, in my world, when, when a child cannot do something, it's because they literally, really don't get it that it's there. Even though they might be moving that arm and flailing it or hitting their brother or even bringing food to their mouth with that arm, but those specific distinctions that allow for them to notice, to know it's there, to be interested in manipulating it and bring it on their body is highly complex. We have never seen a dog dress themselves. We (laughs) only see human beings dress themselves. You you can see apes probably learn very well if you show them. They will be able to do. But you need a big brain for that. You need a brain that can reach really a much higher level of complexity. So, So what I... So now... I can talk about how to get a kid to participate, but it's important. This is beautiful.
0: Keep going, yes.
1: Yeah, because when you see that a child is not doing something or doing something you don't want them to do the way they're doing it or a combination of both, it's because they're lacking additional information that will give them the freedom and the opportunity and the likelihood that they will actually grasp it. And that's the perception of differences. And the first place and the most fundamental place where we perceive differences is through movement. That's how we grow. That's how the brain forms itself. If you take a newborn and it doesn't move or hardly moves at all, their brain is not going to grow properly and they're going to not develop neither in terms of motor coordination or cognitive coordination the way other kids do. And and the interesting thing, which is very, very, I think, important to understand, is that movement alone, that means movement that either is done automatically by the person or movement that is done to someone else, like manipulation kind of movement, that's done in a way that is imposed and wrote on the person or on the child, does not generate new information to the brain. And there's beautiful research that demonstrates that, and I, you know, quote that uh-huh, in the uh-huh. books. And I noticed it in my work because, you know, sometimes, you know, physical therapists would say, well, we do what you do because they watch some of the movements I was doing with a child. Uh-huh. And I said, uh, obviously you don't or you would have been getting the <laughs> outcomes. You know, my background is also in science, so, I mean, I'm very fact-in-the-world-oriented kind of person. And I say, you do the same thing, you get the same outcomes. But I then started looking, what is it that I am doing differently? Why am I getting different outcomes? And I realized that movement, what I do is I move the child in such a way that I call upon their attention to themselves, that they feel themselves as they move. And when movement is combined with attention to the feeling of self as we move, the brain changes at an incredibly rapid rate, and the estimate for children is roughly 1.8 million new connections on the average per second. So we're looking about 100 million per minute, and that's not a bad rate. So... Um, so it's very important, the very first thing we do, and a very easy point of entry, is always movement, because either the child moves already on their own, or you're going to move that child, and and um, I, I'm thinking of a kid that I was giving a lesson yesterday, um, and she does not have autism, but she has this undiagnosed, off-the-wall, you know, delayed development that is very interesting because she's actually very strong now. She it was not, she was limp, uh, you know, undertone
0: right, when she
1: was right. uh, little. But and now she's about two and a half, and she's actually strong. And she screams and yells. She's either kind of on her, you'd think she's autistic, but she's not, she's not autistic, but she's either ignoring everybody and doing whatever, or she screams at the top of her lungs, and I usually get the kid to collaborate and pay attention to themselves, really within seconds, usually. This one took me two lessons, I mean, one and a half. Lessons halfway right. through the second lesson right. Session, right. She, she 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 shifted like, but that was like night and day. And she's very her movement. So she when she stood, she was shaking a bit, and you know I'm always thinking cerebellum would not. But then, you know, and trips and uh, strong but very mobile. And at a certain moment, I won't go into details. I finally got her to. Stop. She didn't want me to touch her, and I wouldn't force a child ever, but I did whatever I did, touch and stop, and she was on the father, and I touched the father, and at a certain moment, she stopped long enough that I could touch her extremely gently, and that's one of my essentials, and started doing very tiny, small movements with her back because her back was like a rock. And there was no differentiation in the back. There was no differentiation between the shoulders and the back. I mean, that brain was, like, very, very undifferentiated. And her way to get what she needed in the world was to scream and yell. And that worked. And the parents were so quick to accommodate the yelling and everything that it was so easy for her. Yeah, it became the the working pathway, right? (laughs) Exactly. And, boy, was that a loud and uncomfortable one. So... Uh, And for her, too. And I, I, she, for about 20 minutes, barely moved, smiled for time. It was like a door opened for her. All of a sudden, she could feel herself as she was being moved in a completely new way and in a way that she liked. And by the end of that 15, maybe 20 minutes that I was... Working with her, and by the way, I stopped before she would go back to yelling because I didn't want—I wanted her to not think she has to yell to get away her way once again. I wanted to shift that, and I just, you know, had her sit on the dead, and then she slid down and she started walking. And both parents saw it. She wasn't shaking; her hips were moving. She had easier movement, and she started moving everywhere. She really enjoyed it. And the father said she looks a lot more secure on her feet. I said, yeah, because she is. And she's more secure on her feet because her brain now has so much more freedom to organize the movement in, a, in her intention. Oh, and well, it's, it's focused. I mean, you helped her focus. I have to
0: do the little middle of the road break, and we're going to come back and talk about that whole concept, um, because you can't underestimate the subtle stuff. The subtle stuff, that little moment when she was able to actually pay attention to what you were doing with her back, gave her something other than resistance and and habit and all of that. So it's really huge and big, and it's too often underestimated. We are a new spin on autism answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. I'm talking with Annette Banial. I hope I said her name right. She is the author of several books, which we'll get into close to the end of the show. She is the one who came up with the nine essentials. She's um, a great changer in the world of special needs, and she she marries movement with brain plasticity, and we are asking her right now some awesome stuff. But before I go on, I have to remind you to stay to the very end when we will have Star Well, I'll tell a story and pull this all together. And uh, instead of our okay, 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 great guest giveaway, and is going to give away something I think, I hope, I hope, I hope. So you hang in there with us. We are going to go back and talk about choice versus coercion. Because um, Annette really kind of built, put that into something she just said. And um, I want to sort of hit on that. Because one of the things that I really, really work with with families is that there is a huge difference in how the brain processes doing what you're forcing it to do. When a, when a person's learning to behave, quote-unquote behave, or do as they're told, it is a very different processing system, learning system, and ability to generalize by the brain what is taken on there. It's almost like you're learning two layers. You're learning what to do for the other person while waiting how to do what you want to do in the first place. So you're creating duplicity in a child when you force. That's my opinion. Let's see what Annette has to say. What do you think about um, the concept of choice and attention on purpose by the child or the client versus somebody making them?
1: Well, uh, uh, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more already. Uh, Oh, my goodness, That's such a big conversation, and I will say it as uh, succinctly as I can. The brain is a self-organizing system. It has to figure things out for itself. So one of my the things I say in my book, It's Beyond Limits, is if he could, he would. If she could, she would. So to try to make a person do something they can't do, to really do it, it is impossible. But... We can try uh, and inhibit people from doing things they are doing, sometimes. and, And people working with kids or parents to kids on the autism spectrum know how often that is also not working. There's a few things. First of all, if you inhibit, if you scare, you can sometimes inhibit the child from doing certain things. You can even maybe teach it to do certain things rote, you know, say thank you in specific uh, conditions that repeat themselves, and so on. But if you think of the brain as the most magnificent, biggest, most complex, dynamic, self-generating system, and the word here is self-organizing, self-generating, and you think of a person's life, what you want is you want each and every one of us to have the greatest inner resources, to be able to problem solve, not just math, but uh, where to put my clothes, how to organize my shelves, how to put the shirt on, how how to speak to this person versus this other person because they're each different, to pick up on cues, to know what works for us, to feel, to love. I mean, these are all things we generate. So this is very, very general. In my world, not only I don't try to coerce the person, I really drive and push as much as possible to to facilitate and enhance the ability of the child or of their brain to perceive differences so that they will get smarter and move better and will do things, you know, continuously on a higher level. You know, I've worked with, world-class musicians, literally, some of them best-known classical musicians, usually initially come to me because there's some pain or a problem, right? Mm -hmm. And I would work with them to get rid of their pain, what you described yourself, is by giving them more freedom to do what they're already doing better than pretty much anyone else in the world, by having new choices of movement, and you get new choices of movement, by getting your brain to have more differentiation and more options. So the problem of the child on the autism spectrum, the very core problem, is that their brain is not perceiving differences well enough. And they get very compulsive and repetitive in their behaviors because they don't have choice. But they have really actually, in my experience, excellent brains. And it's very easy to begin driving changes. So let me talk about another couple, three essentials very quickly through a story about a dad that came to me. Actually, two dads that said something very similar about their boys. So the first one is an a, a, a electronic engineer, and he has a 12-year-old son on the autism spectrum. And he happened to get my book, and he read about three of the essentials that, I mean, you read all of them, but three of them grasped his attention. One of them was reduction of force, because what does reducing force does? It increases our sensitivity to change. So we can perceive differences better. The other one is slowing down. What does slowing down do? It gets the brain's attention, but also fast. We can only do what we already know, because that's how the brain works. When we go really fast, it always defaults to already the most deeply grooved pattern. So we're not going to do anything new. So there's slow, there is gentle. We reduce the force. Let's just take even just these two, because that's a handful already to really grasp, because they're also very counterintuitive to most people. So what he did is he reduced the force, In an interesting way, he did it on the emotional level. He realized that when he talks to his son, and the son does his typical autistic behaviors, his voice gets more and more intense. It wasn't like he was yelling at him, but he was getting nervous and anxious. So he just changed the tone of voice. To have a lot less force, not artificially, just he calmed himself down, and he cha- he reduced the emotional force of the interaction, and he couldn't believe it. He said the sun started responding to him, started listening, you know, started behaving, you know, whatever you want to call it. The other thing he did, because this guy, of course, is into math and stuff. He said he used to try and help him do his homework, and you can imagine that for an electronic engineer to have a 12-year-old son that doesn't get math can be pretty difficult. So he said he realized, again, that he was going too fast and using too much force. So how do you use too much force when you try to help your kid do math? He said, I tried to have him solve 10 math problems at a sitting. He said, instead, I really slowed down, and then he brought another essential, which is called variation. and talk about it in a second. And he said, and he did one problem at at a time. And then just stopped. Wouldn't do more than one at a time. He said, and his son started getting mad. And on purpose, I'm showing it on what people would consider a more cognitive level, because these principles work for the brain on all levels, because the brain works on the same principles no matter what you do. It always has to differentiate. It always has to integrate. And it always has to self-organize into an intention and purpose. So I think that coercing a person is one of the lowest levels of... Uh, let me put it. It's not low. It calls the brain to work on its lowest possible level. And we want to call the brain to work on its highest possible level where it can really problem-solve and get children on the autism spectrum to be able to move, because, by the way, autism in my world is a major neural movement disru- disturbance, disorder. I have not yet seen a child that's uh, considered to be on the autism spectrum that doesn't have movement disorder. I agree. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I, I just walk around and I say, what, what kind of glasses people wear to not see that? <laughs> so... You, we want a brain that works on the highest level possible, where it can reorganize itself despite some real issues which I don't know what they are. I know the theories, but I don't take any sides, but it seems pretty obvious that there is a you know, a, a, a definite biological metabolic basis to this condition. So it has a challenge. The brain is a challenge, but it's not like a not-good brain. It actually can become an exquisite brain because the brain is the most dynamic, the most changeable, the most responsive to its experience, system in the whole body. So um, I think it's uh, pretty clear that coercion or trying to force specific behaviors on a human being is driving it to operate as an automaton as a limited limited system and that's a heartbreak and it's not just a heartbreak to us who watch the person operate on such a low level but it's also very uncomfortable and creates i believe a lot of suffering in the child
0: yeah i agree well it was a couple of things that you you centered on is one of them being attention to movement there's also attention in general and If you're giving attention to what you're being forced to do or what you're being manipulated to do, the attention is going to the wrong thing. It's not being self-generated on how to do it yourself. It creates a lot of codependency and all kinds of things that people then later go, I don't know why they aren't learning. (laughs) It's because they're paying attention to that you're going to do it or you're part of their loop or you're forcing them so they're paying attention to that they're afraid, or they're whatever, but the attention's going to the wrong place, and that's what the brain learns with. That's the information piece. So if, let's just talk force. If you force somebody, then they're afraid of being forced. They're st- in a stimulated state. The information they're getting is what they pay attention to, and that's you forcing them. It's got nothing to do with what it is that you're trying to teach. So all you teach is that you're going to force. That, that's all you teach. You don't teach yeah. the
1: other yeah. piece. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's yeah, and a big what I want to, yeah, sorry to interrupt here, but I, I love what you're saying. And I say the 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 it's, br- it's not neutral. I always say to parents when they ask me, should I do this? Should I do that? And I always say, pay attention to your child's experience because it's never neutral because the brain is responsive to its own experience. And and I the, another way of saying what you said is what we teach and what the child learn, learns are two independent processes in the sense that what I think I'm teaching you is rarely what you what you actually learn. Right. So we have to pay attention we have to pay attention. By the way, in order to to do for parents to do what I advocate with their child, they have to practice it in themselves. And what happens is it it a, a, drives the parents to become more evolved and enlightened human beings because they have to pay attention what motivate what moves them to get the child to do what the child does, to react to the child. Yep. So who are we doing this for? I, I always ask this question, who am I doing what I'm doing for? And it's okay to do things for yourself. Not only it's okay, I want the parents to do things that, for themselves and make their life work better and it's, it's very important. Even for the child, it's very important. But it's like forcing creates a learning, but it doesn't create the learning we want. Just what you said. And and I love what you said. You always keep yourself in the loop, just like this girl that yelled. I said, let her yell and look the other way and just make sure she doesn't hurt herself. Because yelling like that has to fail consistently. Not because you're punishing her. That's not a punishment. It just has to fail or she'll keep doing it. Yes, and, exactly, and, exactly, exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs>
1: and, and, you know, and I, I say that the most important, the best teacher we'll ever have in our life is the gravitational force. Because when we do the same thing we, with our bodies, we get the same result. The ground doesn't look at us and say, oh, you're a good girl. No, you're a bad boy. (laughs) It has nothing to do, that's one of the things I I try to teach parents, is it's nothing about being a good boy or a bad boy, or a good girl or a bad girl. It's about what is it that I'm doing and what is the result I'm getting. Right,
0: exactly, cause and effect, absolutely. Oh, I'm so sorry that we're so close to the end, and I want to make sure you have a chance to say things that aren't me generating the conversation. So. Um, talk about whatever book you want to highlight. Let's. Will you? Will you? Will you please? Please uh,
1: give some away. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. So, uh, I I would be happy to give five uh, copies of Kids Beyond Limits. Uh, uh, I will need to send you know the paper copy because I can't give away you know electronic. I'm not set up to, for that. So it's called Kids Beyond Limits. It's the, uh, and it's the. Uh, specifically written about my work with children with special needs. And I think I, I want to really tell parents uh, of children, you know, on the autism spectrum, but any, any, it's not just with special needs, any child. All children have special needs and all adults have special needs. We all are built to continue growing and evolving. My conclusion this far from my work is that the human brain is built to continue growing, differentiating, and developing throughout life That's what gives us our health, our strength, and our well-being. I mean, of course, nutrition, everything else is important, but it's a very, very important thing, and it's really easily doable. Once you focus and figure out some ways of doing it, it becomes second nature. And your child, all those children, some of them with very extreme conditions that we work with, turn into magnificent learners, as i believe what you do lynette also does that and i think it's just so important to know that there is really hope as my friend and the person who wrote the forward to my book dr michael merzenich who is a, the in a sense the father of you know mm-hmm. i don't know who he said, sure sure he, he, he spoke, at, and it's online. You can see it, mm-hmm. by the way, on my website. He spoke uh, about my work and why he wrote the forward to my book, and he said it gives hope, not false hope, real hope. And oh, awesome. so I want uh, parents to know that it, it could, can be unbelievably hard and challenging. Uh, but I want to say one more thing. You said those uh, small changes. In a quantum system, there aren't small changes. There are only changes. And once the brain starts changing and once the brain starts learning, it, it grows exponentially. And, and every change, that's one of my essentials, it's called enthusiasm. Us as adults perceiving the seemingly small changes in the child amplifies the child's perception in their own changes. And it's not about clapping because it distracts them or the yelling and saying good boy or anything like that it's about a deep internal satisfaction that you observe your child and you say they are brilliant they have a brilliant learning brain and we're going to take advantage of that
0: yay okay if you want to get a copy of an nuts book you have to email me at mom number four ever more m-o-m number four ever more mom forever more at Juno, J-U-N-O dot com. Do not send it to the website for uh, Web Talk Radio because they nuke em.
1: Yeah, All right? And I'm going to jump in because otherwise my people will kill me. Of course, visit my website. It has t- tons of YouTubes, and, uh, we, and if you do you know, you're number six on the books. There's a free chapters you can download. It's www.anatbanielmethod.com, A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L, method, M-E-T-H-O-D.com. And follow us on Facebook. We have a parents page. that is fantastic. And, uh, of course, I would like to connect with your social media now that we've spoken because, obviously, you do great work. Lynette and thank you so much for having me
0: oh and you're so welcome and we're not going to have time for her to say her nine essentials so I'm going to put them on the website for the the show guys so make sure you check that link out and go to her website and she's awesome all right thank you Annette, for coming That was Annette Banielle. Hopefully I'm saying her name right. She's the the nine essentials lady, lady, the movement into brain change lady. She's awesome, a great guest, and our okay, 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 the great guest giveaway. So we had some awesome discussion. More than awesome, it was actually tangible. There was some good learning. At one point I was asked, oh, wait a minute. I have to tell you what we're doing. It is time for the story. Okay, okay, I have to put this all together and turn it into sort of one thought. Let's give it a try. When I first heard Annette talking on a, on a podcast, one of her examples, which we never really got to, so I'm going to try and give you a representation of it real short, was a child was putting on a shirt, and she would interrupt the moment and draw attention to it. And so like the arm goes the, to to enter into the sleeve and she interrupts for a second or slows down. By interrupting, I don't mean manipulate the child. I mean stopped herself and her automatic movement so that the child had to pay attention and begin to move. The reason, the reason that I wanted to hit on that is because of my stories that I want to tell you today. Okay, so I work with this child. He's lives in the Middle East and he's, you know, got an affluent family and so he's got lots and lots of support and he's doing really well. All right. One of the issues with lots and lots of money and lots and lots of support is that sometimes you end up hiring a lot of people to do a lot of therapies and you miss daily moment-to-moment opportunities. So what the child learns is I'm autistic when I'm off-duty. So I do all my stims and all my autistic behavior, and this is what I reinforce. This is the behavior I reinforce. Over and over again, I'm going to squeal and bounce this ball until it's time to go to bed. And then I'm going to, you know, just sort of stay autistic and make weird noises while someone dresses me and puts me to bed. And that was my time off, sort of like the guy who, you know, finishes work and thinks he should have a beer. That's the autism beer. I'm just going to be autistic. Well, that's okay. I love autism. I love autistic brains. I love autistic people. This is all okay. He's probably happy doing that. Or is he? No. Actually, what ends up happening is he ends up having meltdowns as a general rule. And the real problem is his brain has nothing to pay attention to that has any legs, that has any forward motion, that has any learning. If you study happiness, one of the things you will discover is that learning itself generates happiness because we're focused and we're busy and we love to problem solve. That's how our brains work. So if putting on the shirt, if getting the food for your dinner if all the little things throughout your day are something that your attention is drawn to little subtle moments then you grow you change and you're and you're constantly challenged without having problems thrown and manufactured and thrown in your face you're actually learning to solve your day so i suggested this i said okay let's just okay does he pick his own clothes no of course not you don't do that till you're 12 and i'm like "Uh, i did it i think when i was like five so i think it's okay (laughs) right so the point being that you want to let the child notice help the child notice so that he or she can actually learn it if you're a passenger in the car I use this analogy a lot. But when you're a passenger in the car, you don't usually know how you got there. When you're the driver, you do. The difference was attention. One last point, my son, my son, my son, the lower functioning one that never left home yet, always wore his clothes backwards. I was pretty sure it was on purpose, but it was really hard to change that. He has a girlfriend now, he's in love, and no matter what I did to teach him, it took his motivation and concern about it to change because now he wears his clothes correctly. No more backwards pants and backwards shirt on dark. Point being to that, you pay attention to what you care about. So help them self-generate emotions, please, 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 so that they will care, 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 so that they will learn, 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 so that they will be happy, happy, happy. Love you all. Thank you for being here, because without you, I would just be talking to myself. You were listening to a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, otherwise known as the Brain Bond, your story teacher
1: Can't hear you.